It takes a village to raise a child. We all know that, right? But what happens if you can't find your village? Because raising your child is really, really tough. What if you are so filled with shame and doubt and guilt and fear of judgment that you don't share your triumphs and your struggles? You don't talk about it because you don't think anyone can possibly relate. Well, I've been there, and it was really hard for me to find my tribe. So I decided to make mine. I went out and found these amazing mothers who are also in the trenches, struggling to raise their kids. Together, we are a community. And in this podcast on the hard days, you'll find motivating stories from other real moms who get it. We're going to accept who we are and how we show up for our children each and every day, even on the hard days. Hey guys, have you signed up for my weekly newsletter, Mothers Together? I'm hopeful that you have because this newsletter is so fun. First, I have a Mom of the Week feature, which if you didn't already catch it, these Moms of the Week are just regular moms like you and I who are listening to this podcast, who are followers of this community, and they want to find their people. If you send me a picture and a little bio about yourself, I'll feature you in our Mothers of the Week column, and moms can contact you and make instant friends based on the fact that we are all raising these out-of-the-box kids. And another feature in my newsletter is a recap of the week's podcast episode, as well as resources, because we all need those, and it's so helpful to just have more information. You really can never have too much when you're trying to raise the kids like we have. And so every week I will put in a resource or two, whether a book or a podcast or a blog or whatever, for you to check out. So if you haven't signed up for this newsletter yet, head to my website, ontheharddays.com, and enter your email address. You'll be getting this newsletter every Friday. And as always, thank you so much for your endless support. And now, on to the episode. Welcome back, everybody. I am super pumped because tonight I am bringing you a dad onto the podcast. I, he's the first one. Um, maybe the only one. I don't know. He's, you've got a very you know, prestigious position here. Now, this is Chef Kibby, And if you don't know Chef Kibby, he's a professional chef, culinary instructor, an online content creator. Um, he's combined his 25 years of food experience with 12 years as a biological foster and adoptive parent to create Cooking with Kibby, which is this personal brand that I love, dedicated to demonstrating the connecting power of cooking and eating with our children, which I love, love, love. He has a YouTube channel. He has a podcast, which I was on a few weeks ago, online courses, and so much more. We're going to take a dive into all of that. Welcome, Chef Kibby. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. And there's no pressure at all. This could be the first and last dad to ever show up on the hard days, but you know that's what? probably not the case. This is, no, it may well be. So consider yourself um, just one of one in a million, one of a kind. Um, and I had heard you. We talked on Clubhouse first, I think, before we knew about each other's podcasts, and. Your message was one that regardless of being a mom or being a dad, it was like, wow, I've got to hear more about your story about connecting with children, even if or in spite of if they're not biologically yours, um, just children in general and how important that is to their well-being and yours and, and mine. Um, so take us back to the early days, 
pre-COVID and uh, um, and your life before this life now and, and give us the journey here. Wow, it that takes me back, Megan. I mean, that's like, what, 18 months uh, before all of our worlds were turned upside down. Um, let me think back. Well, even before then, I was already a biological foster and adoptive dad. My wife and I had chosen this, this path of, well, being biological and adoptive parents that was something we'd always talked about and then eventually decided that fostering was going to be the best avenue for us as far as adding children into our home whether they ended up being reunified or having the opportunity to adopt them you know every case is a little bit different we had a number of placements over the years i think we had as uh, i think 12 or 13 different placements over the years and got to adopt one of them thus far. And uh, it's been a, a bumpy road. And I think those of your listeners that are listening to your podcast, which I am among them, <laughs> um, would resonate with the, with the kind of the loneliness that comes about with dealing with children that require just a little bit extra from us. And to be quite honest with you, that wasn't something that I don't think my wife and I were fully prepared for when we became foster and adoptive parents. I mean, you hear the stories about, about foster kids and their behavioral issues, but even all the trainings that we went through didn't fully prepare us for just the, the baggage that, that children brought with them. Not to put any of the blame on these children, we, especially in the last year and a half, after I've realized how much of our issues with managing behavior has really been my own issues managing my own behavior, of understanding trauma and understanding what it does to the brain and what it does to them emotionally and from an ability to, to form healthy attachments, it's been, wow, it's I feel like I'm in an undergrad um, child psychology program right now and have been over the last year and a half as a result of COVID. Um, but even you know before that, life looked very different for me. I was teaching for the culinary arts program at a local college, the one that the same one that I graduated from about 10 years ago. And we had a family business, a, a catering business that was doing quite well. And we were doing hands-on cooking classes with families and corporate groups and, and uh, different events. And all of that came to a screeching halt about March of last year. And that was, that was a huge game changer for, for me. It was a huge hit to my self-esteem because as with many men or dads that are listening to the show right now can resonate with this. Our careers are very much a part of our identity and very much in the same way that, that motherhood can, can be, or you know, careers for women as well, can become wrapped up in identity. And when that was pulled out from, from under me, it was a huge hit to my, to my ego and to my self-esteem and to my mental health. And I retreated back to my home kitchen where I began spending more time cooking for myself and for my family and, and with my family. And that's when I began, the, the light bulb began to, to come on and I began to realize 
what had been available to me this whole time that I wasn't fully taking advantage of. And that's this, this space, the, the kitchen, this, you know, fake kitchen that's behind me on the wall here. Um, <laughs> for those, you, I love it. You, you can see the, the video. I know, right? Very clean. And kitchen. all the backgrounds of my YouTube videos. I, I live in a four generation household. There is no way I am filming YouTube videos <laughs> in my kitchen. There's just way too much going on there. But I began to see, Megan, that, that the shared act of cooking and eating with our children could create such a, an influential, um, such a, a, could have such a strategic role in our overall parenting approach. And when you combine that with being trauma-informed and understanding things like um, trust-based relational intervention or TBRI, which again has just been a huge game changer for my family. We combine those things and you have yourself a recipe for a strong proactive method of adjusting mental health by creating a place where children can feel safe and feel loved and feel challenged and pushed and motivated to, to please you. And the more often I take advantage of that, the more I see the positive changes coming about in my relationship with my children and their relationship. And also the relationship with yourself as you've learned to understand and find this other piece of you, this other part of your identity that you weren't in touch with as much as you are now. Wow, I have I have many questions for you. The first one I want to ask you for those who don't know, and, and I have to admit that I don't know. Can you explain trauma-informed TBRI? What is that? Absolutely. So TBRI or trust-based relational intervention is a is an intervention that was developed by the uh, Child Development uh, Institute at Texas Christian University. It has been since renamed the Karen Purvis Institute for Child Development, I believe is the full title, um, named after the late Karen Purvis, who along with uh, Dr. David Cross developed TBRI as a way of dealing specifically with mental health with children from hard places. Um, so dealing with trauma. And what it is, is a science-based approach to managing trauma and managing the behaviors that are a result of trauma by understanding kind of the inner workings that are going on behind the scenes in their brains. So basically it's seeing past the behavior and seeing the needs that are being reflected in those behaviors. And I would not to speak for you, Megan, but I think that that would be very much the same case for, for uh, other children who have high needs, you know, even yes. those on the autism spectrum, a lot of times, it's looking past the behaviors to see the needs yes. and just having a framework that kind of uh, puts into context the things that you and I are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis yeah. is just a huge breath of fresh air. You don't, you feel like you're no longer alone. And, you know, for lack of better terms, it's made sound, you know, kind of harsh, but you kind of feel a little nuts after a while when the things that just come naturally to us as parents aren't working with these children and to to know from a from a trauma-based standpoint what's happening behind the scenes and that a lot of the issues that children from hard places 
uh, you know, foster and adoptive children, children who have been separated from their families or, or experienced any other kind of trauma, that they don't receive love the same way because there's kind of mental things that are getting in the way. And if we can allow ourselves to look past their behavior and see the mental stuff that's going on behind the scenes, it makes for more opportunities, not only for grace, but also for healing. And so coming from a place of connection rather than correction. Um, I am not a child psychologist. I don't have, I'm not a you know, licensed social worker or anything like that. There are other podcasts and other books that you could go to for more resources on that. I'm, I'm constantly leaving links to TBRI and they actually just released a new podcast that's all about TBRI. So really? if you want to learn more about it, you got to check them out. I'm sure Megan will leave it in the show notes. Yes, I will. I will. And I'll be, I'll be the first one subscribing to that. You know, when, first of all, and you said, you know, you're not a licensed psychologist and we know that, but, but give yourself the credit for not only learning it, internalizing it, and then implementing it in your own home. Um, this, as I put on my teacher hat for a second, when you were talking as an elementary school teacher, it's like, wow, I think about student after student that I've had over the years, TBRI would have really come in handy um, and seeing the needs underneath. And, and honestly, I don't know, this is kind of just good parenting in general. When you're working with a child, the behavior that you're seeing has a reason every time every time. And it's so hard for traditional parenting methods and, you know, kind of old-fashioned, old-school individuals who, who either watch children or see how they behave. It's so easy to jump on what you see. And it's like, oh, this child is so disrespectful. He talks back all the time. You know, where is this coming from? And have you stopped to think about the cause and who knows? It could be a million different reasons. And to think, to be able to humble yourself enough to say that, or to think and believe that the way I am reacting to this child is reinforcing the behavior and is just prolonging the time that it's going to take for growth and a relational um, development to take place. Yes. And that's that's a hard place to get to. And it took me a long time to get to that place. So I'm not sitting here like I'm some sort of you know, expert that I figured this all out and everything is all bright and cheery. God had to do a lot of work in my life to get me to this point. And I'm, and I'm still learning. And I love that I get to share this journey with other people through my podcast and through the YouTube channel and you know Instagram and occasionally through Clubhouse when we're able to get the, the app to work. Mm -hmm. But to know that other people are resonating with that. And even though I'm not the expert, I do have experiences that are relevant and that could help someone. And mm -hmm. that means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I don't, you know, whatever we define the word expert as, if you're living it, if you're in the trenches and you've gone through it, then I consider you an expert. Now you said something earlier because I was going to say, well, how did you get to that point of, of figuring this all out? But you did say something about manning, managing the behaviors of your kids really comes down to managing your own behaviors. So talk to me about that. I can't imagine you 
any other way than how you are right now, which seems very patient and chill and um, aligned and focused. So (laughs) you should have seen me a few hours ago, Megan. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that. I mean, that's why you're, that's why this podcast is called on the hard days. It's, it's, and you know, in some ways it's kind of a joke because all of the days can be hard days and sometimes it's hard hours and sometimes it's hard minutes and sometimes it's hard phases that Mm -hmm. we're going through or our kiddos Mm -hmm. are going through, you know, sometimes things happen, um, in our, in our family life that puts us on edge, puts us as grownups on edge and puts our kiddos on edge. Mm-hmm. And, and to your, to your point where you're talking about being an educator and how things like, you know, trauma informed care and, and TBRI strategies would have been so helpful. I feel so blessed. I feel so fortunate to be going through this process because it has been kind of a rediscovery of myself and some of the baggage that I bring to my relationships, to my marriage, to my parenthood, to my friendships, but also, I mean, we as a country, as a world have gone through so much that has been traumatizing over the last year and a half. And to know what I know now and have been learning has given me the opportunity to show so much more grace and understanding and mercy toward people who are let's say acting out in ways that one might think is, is maladaptive. And to be able to say, while I don't condone what they're doing, I know there's a need behind that. And I wish I had the ability to help that person meet that need, but um, I'm in up to my eyeballs just taking care of these kiddos right now. <laughs> yes. And honestly, you you are meeting their needs first and foremost by seeing them and understanding them that connection piece is number one and I try to remember that too mostly with my students still just you know um, this one is acting out but remember they have been in their house for a year or um, this one um, maybe not living in their house they're living in a hotel because of job loss and all these things Mm. Um, but even with my own child here we're out of school. Now we're in school. Now I'm the teacher. Now you have another teacher, uh, you know, (laughs) which we all can relate to. And it's, it's tough, but meeting them where they are at. And I think that takes a lot of, um, and you said humbleness. Uh, It takes, you have to look inside yourself to see why you have the standards for children's behavior that you do in the first place. Where does that come from? You know, Mm -hmm. And in some ways, it, it comes from a place of, of insecurity on your part. I mean, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people that some of the, the attachment parenting, the, the, the lack of attachment in some of our parenting strategies comes from kind of a, a sense of insecurity that I can't ask my child to do something because that gives them the opportunity to say no. Well, yes and no. It, but that also kind of, you know, reveals a little bit of vulnerability on your part, that you're afraid that your relationship with your child isn't strong enough mm-hmm. that they want to, to, com- to comply with what you're asking them to do. So it kind of goes both ways. I hope that makes sense. Uh, it does. I, 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 I try not to get on my soapbox too much, but you know, there was a, a time not too long ago where you know, someone was talking, you know, a parenting expert, again, there's that expert word again, mm-hmm. talking about how you can't ask 
things of your children, you need to tell them to do something because you open up the opportunity for them to say no. And I completely disagree with that. I think if we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to ask them the question, it's actually a very empowering thing for our children. And if we're doing the connecting work, if we are focusing on the relationship, then they're gonna do something better than comply with our orders. They're gonna to want to be obedient to their mommy or to their daddy or to their caregiver because of the strength of the relationship you've built. Mm -hmm. And I, I've seen that in my own relationships and it's, it's scary and it's, it doesn't feel good. And sometimes it feels like you're being, um, uh, it can feel a little permissive at first, but when you learn kind of the scripts that are involved and the kind of strategies of, of creating compromise and kind of guiding children to the behaviors that you want from them, you're still the one in charge. You're not giving up all control to your children. There's, there's a difference between that and being completely permissive. Mm -hmm. But there are ways to empower a child and still guide them to the behaviors that you want from them. Now that can't necessarily happen in the middle of a tantrum, but the great thing that I've seen in inviting my children into the kitchen is that it creates opportunities for us to kind of practice these strategies when they are calm and when they are regulated mm -hmm. to give them opportunities to to obey you know to to do what i ask of them and to follow instructions and to meet expectations and to have a voice mm -hmm. in in the operation mm -hmm. and one of the things that's helped me to to be more intentional with that is the discovery of the developmental relationships framework which is another um, source of child psychology information that I've availed myself of. It's you know, a free resource available through the Search Institute that outlined 20 activities that uh, that children need as a part of their caregiver relationship in order to have the the mental and emotional assets to 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 thrive and be resilient. And when I looked them over, I saw these 20 activities and realized you can do all 20 of them in the kitchen with your children. And that was the, the impetus behind my 20 day challenge, which is currently available as an email challenge through my website. And I am on my podcast going through each of those activities and doing an entire podcast episode around these different activities that are laid out by the developmental relationships framework and giving parents a few ways, a few different uh, activities that they can use in their home kitchens in order to begin to see these same results. And families are already listening and taking advantage of these resources that I've provided to them for free and are starting to see some, some positive changes. And that, that feels really, really good. Wow. Wow. I, um, yeah. And I do want to take a dive into your, your podcast and, and your website and all the things that you do as well. I just saw on your Instagram stories the other day about making granola. And I was thinking about that very thing about that bond. And as you know, from when I was on your show, I am not a cook, <laughs> um, but my husband loves to cook and he often, often pulls the kids into the kitchen and I watch him grit his teeth with patience, which I wouldn't have when messes are made and measurements aren't done well and 
kids aren't listening and you know all that fun stuff but he he does he does kind of bite his his tongue and the kids get so much out of it so much out of it my daughter really has taken to cooking she really loves it um so i see that i see that um give us an example in in your in your life like just just i know you had the granola one but that sort of thing what does that look like for you in the kitchen with all of your kids I like how you said that your husband kind of had to grit his teeth because again, being, being a male, being a man and being a chef, there's a lot of pride and self-worth wrapped into my cooking. And I had already dealt with a lot of kind of trust issues in the kitchen, even in my professional career. I mean, there were restaurants where I worked, where I had a hard time entrusting activities to other people because I felt like I had to do everything myself. Mm -hmm. And so to get to that point again, to be able to do that with my children, hats off to your husband, because that is a hard work, especially again, given kind of the the male psyche. Mm -hmm. But part of what I had to do was reframe my mentality around kind of where my pride lies. a lot of times when we talk about food, our pride comes from having that, that beautiful plate on the table and get that nice shot that we can post to Instagram or to Pinterest or you know, insert social media channel here. Mm-hmm. And to shift my, my measure of success away from that Instagram photo to that, to that relational time with my children, which at the end of the day, I take so much more pride in the the memories I'm creating with them and for them than I do the number of likes I get on my Instagram posts. You know, no, no offense to any of my followers, uh, please follow me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should, I love but your stuff. To shift your mentality, to shift your, your measure of success makes all the difference. And that's especially the case for people who are not very comfortable in the kitchen because it can already be a place of high anxiety and stress already. But if you allow yourself to, to focus your, your, your measure of success and your, your milestones and, and what you're trying to get out of it away from this you know, picture-perfect plate or this impressive dinner for your family, to really focusing on the relational aspect, you'd be surprised that sometimes the food even turns out better than than it would have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And your children are so much better for it. And my children have taught me a lot as well about this whole being in the kitchen together. My favorite example is the time when one of my children came up to me one time and asked if she could chop up my vegetable scraps. She saw me doing some knife work at the cutting board and chopping up vegetables and kind of moving some things to the side that I wasn't using. And she asked if she could chop those. And so my first, my gut reaction, as with you know many times when my child asks me something, sometimes our gut reaction is to say no, because you want to feel like you're the one in charge, uh, that you're the one you know, handling things. Um, but also just, you know, this is, this is junk We're this is just going to be going to the chickens. So let's not bother with that. There's nothing really productive that can come out of it. But I, something clicked in me the training that I've been going through uh, over these months said, there's no reason to say no to this. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nothing to lose here. Mm-hmm. If this, if the vegetable scraps are going to the chickens anyway, 
let her chop it up. Maybe they'll eat it a little, little bit easier tonight. And so I gave her a cutting board. I gave her a knife, one that was appropriate for her skill level and let her chop up the scraps. And what surprised me about it was not only was she having this relational time with me, but she was modeling my behavior. She was modeling the way I was standing, modeling the pencil grip and the bear claw that I'd already taught her because she'd already been in some of my videos. And it was such a great time. I will never regret that moment. That was a turning point for me that, that helped me to understand just what was possible, even in allowing your child to do something that didn't contribute a single thing to the dinner, that you could still take advantage of that connecting power in the kitchen is just, it's such a marvelous thing. And I want everybody to, to feel that same empowerment to use the kitchen to connect with their kids. Wow. I love that example. And honestly, that's one that clearly resonates with you and you won't forget it, but I guarantee neither will she because she, she on her end, watching you, watching dad, watching the way you use a knife, like it's, it's so it's powerful. It's emotional. It's, and it's something so simple, chopping chicken scraps, which we have chickens as well. And we never, that's such a good idea that I've never thought of. We toss the scraps all the time, obviously to the chickens, but my daughter especially loves to cook. Why have I not been giving her a knife and having her chop the vegetables? I, I didn't come up with it. My child did. And, <laughs> and she would, and she even asked for a bowl and she called it her, you know, salad that she was making for the chickens. And it's great. It's wonderful. You know, we can learn so much from our, our children. Again, if we allow ourselves to, to be humble enough to, to see things from their perspective, it's amazing what they can teach us. Yeah. Wow. So that's a great idea. I've got to do that. Now I have this question. It's a tough one. Feel free to be honest, but which life do you prefer? The life before where you were in the restaurant and you were owning the control that you had over your profession or the life now where you've given up a lot of control and, and you're in your own home and it's with children. There's the question of the day. What do you think? There were parts of my, my, the, the, the term that comes to my mind is my big boy career. <laughs> Again, this gets back into kind of societal kind of, you know, gender role sort of thing. And I know we were trying to go there with this podcast, but as, as a man and as a chef, I felt like in order to, to justify calling myself Chef Kibby, I needed to have a career that looks a certain way. I mean, to have my own catering business and to be you know, teaching at a community college, you know, all these things kind of justified my career. And so to have all that taken away, it was a huge hit to my self-esteem. But even back then, there were aspects of it that I didn't fully enjoy or embrace. One of them being, especially as a caterer, there were many nights and weekends when I was using my skills to help other people to be present for the people that matter to them. I mean, that's what catering is all about. It's someone is hosting, trying to be hospitable to other people. And they were using my skills to help them be present. But in the process, I wasn't able to be as present with my family. And so as much as I'm still trying to figure out the whole business aspect of what I'm doing now, yes, I have an online course. Yes. I have the podcast and the YouTube channel, and hopefully as 
things continue to move in the right direction, I hope to be doing in-person cooking classes again here locally and you know, try, trying to find other ways to, to monetize my, my perspective and the, the skills and input that I have to offer others. Um, and, and you know this as well as I do, that's, that's a tough road to walk and it's kind of a long game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't trade it. What I have learned about myself and about my children and to be a, a bigger support to my wife who her career hasn't been as interrupted as mine. And so she is, is still working tremendously hard, too much, uh, too hard if you ask me. Um, she's a great mom and, uh, and a hard worker. And she spent about 12 hours out in the field planting tomatoes. Oh, wow. And so I can't say enough about her, but what this has taught me is how to be a better support to her in taking my mental health seriously and knowing the amount of agency that I, as a husband and a dad, have in the relationships that my wife has with my children. And that's, that's huge. I mean, other dads need to understand what sort of an impact they can have because that's not something that we're necessarily modeled. I know I wasn't modeled that growing up. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's been huge. Wow. Wow. And, and you're just so um, honest and vulnerable about all of this, in my opinion. And I think especially as we, as you mentioned, for dads, just kind of putting yourself out there in the way that you are is vulnerable. And so kudos to you because not everybody can do that. Not everybody can get to that place. And I'm sure it took some time to get there, um, but it's pretty admirable. I think you will admit, Megan, that hosting a podcast and even being a guest on a podcast is kind of a therapy in and of itself. (laughs) It is. It's like writing in your journal, (laughs) writing in your diary, as I used to do as a little girl. Um, But now I I do it out loud and to strangers. (laughs) It's great. Um, But they don't feel like Mm -hmm. strangers because we share so much in common. I want to, before I get to your, your podcast and your courses, because I want to ask you about that. You have a knife course. Is that right? For kids or, you know, appropriateness of knives for kids and all of that. Yes. Um, it's, for, it's for families. For we'll families. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very curious about that one. Um, when you talked about your identity and it reminded me in terms of my motherhood identity, you thought, you know, if I'm going to be a professional chef, I've got to teach at the community college, all of those things. I thought if I'm going to be the mother that I want, I've always wanted to be a mother and I was a babysitter and I worked in daycares and I'm an elementary school teacher. I'm going to just absolutely kill this mom game. And I'm going to raise these unbelievably respectful, intelligent, kind, empathetic humans, kind of like me, kind of. And, you know, (laughs) that's not exactly how that went. There were, there's a lot of strong-willed behaviors and I, that I couldn't relate to um, and, and a lot of um, emotional outbursts and aggression and all of those things. And my entire identity was lost immediately. So I, I feel that I cannot have a, um, a, a child who is behaving in the way that society and I thought that he should. Therefore, I'm not the mother that I thought I was or could be. And that feels terrible like that's such a low feeling so that that really resonated with me and I think dad or mom motherhood 
fatherhood in general, it, it knocks you down a couple pegs <laughs> because it's always going to give you something that, that you don't expect. And especially being a foster parent and an adoptive parent, I don't know how I, I give you so much credit in, in the hardships that it must take. I know how guilty I feel you if I yell. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I feel so guilty if I snap, right? If I yell at my own children and, and I have worked through that over the past many years, that would be times a million with foster or adoptive kids. That must be so hard. You have to really be on your patient game. Um, and, and, you know, you're human. So yeah, you're not only because you. of, yeah. Yeah. Not only because, you know, as a foster parent, you have certain guidelines that you have to follow, you know, as, as, being licensed because you are caring for children who are wards of the state and of the county from which they were removed. And they are not your children. You are caring for them while a plan of permanency is being developed for them. But also, I think one of the biggest surprises that I have experienced as a foster parent is how hard it is to love a child that is not your own. I mean, for, for my wife and I, this was something that God had on our hearts since before we got married, was to, to care for children that were not our own. And we do feel like it is something that is on God's heart, that every, every person who has ever come to faith in Jesus has come through a, a sort of adoption of being invited into a family that they weren't born into. And so it just feel, felt like something natural, but there's so much about it when trauma gets in the way that becomes so unnatural and yes. um, it makes you feel very, very alone and very self-conscious in, in a way that it doesn't, doesn't feel very good. And I think that's why so many people who get into foster care for the right reasons don't stay in it for very long. It's because trauma can be very debilitating and it can have secondary traumatic effects on you and potentially your own biological children, it's, it's a hard thing, and which is why of us some tools that actually work to, to help us to help our children. Wow. I can't, it's always been such a, I, I've thought about it. I just don't know. I don't know if I'd be strong enough and, and I'm sure I would. And I'm sure that you guys thought of this too. And you are, you're obviously exactly where you need to be and doing exactly what you were meant to do. One of, one of the things I see in you, as you talk, you, you would make a really good TEDx speaker. <laughs> I, I feel like you have a really good speech. You've no, really, I mean, the trauma piece. So I, I think that's something that you could, you know, I mean, just take my opinion and ditch it if you'd like, but your no, knowledge. Absolutely not. I actually have been working on what I would think would be a good TEDx script for me because it kind of weaves. It, I have this, this thing I'm working on back in my head of how do you describe kind of what trauma does to the brain? And I, I found an analogy in the kitchen that I, the more I dug into it, I was like, wow, there's a lot of really crazy similarities here. And I think I'm going to produce it as a podcast episode sometime in the near future, just to kind of see what people think about it and, and get some input from other more um, educated mm -hmm. in, in the realm of interpersonal neurobiology, what their 
you know, feedback and input would be on it. Because one of the things I've learned about TEDx in particular is that you really have to be someone of, with a primary experience in that field in order to present on a topic. But I can certainly talk about food and I can talk about trauma from care from my own personal experiences. Yeah. That, that means a lot to me that you would say that, that you could uh, see me on a, on a speaking stage. Yeah. I, I, I hope that that would be part of my future as we get kind of back to normal and rather than doing virtual conferences on, on Clubhouse, which you know, I don't mind, I enjoy those too. I would love to be a part of some parenting and trauma-informed care conferences down the road and to, to, to give my insight. Yeah. Well, that's the thing because, I mean, I had to ask you what TR, TBRI was. And after you described it, it's, and, and the other thing I wrote down too, the developmental relationships framework, mm-hmm. this is information that every parent should have every parent should have, every teacher should have, every school should have, and maybe churches should have, and summer camps, on and on and on and on. And courtrooms should yes. have. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And so all these places in, in counselor's offices, therapist's offices, like I see, for me, it's like you can speak on this. You are an expert in this and in terms of we were just talking about TEDx like a first person sort of you are you're in it you are in it and so I feel like gosh you could do so much with getting getting this out via speeches um, um, going to schools talking with staff you know traveling or or whatever um, but also putting out evergreen courses Mm -hmm. on this topic um, and definitely Mm -hmm. being a, a TEDx speaker on that connection trauma in children and connecting with them in the kitchen through cooking. I mean, that seems totally a path for you. Being here on this podcast, Megan, is just one step closer to getting on that stage. Yeah. Now, (laughs) speaking of podcasts, you have an awesome one, which I was so thankful to be on. Tell us about your podcast, your website, all that stuff. Well, the the, the name of my personal brand, if you will, is Cooking with Kitty. It's cooking. I had to leave the G off of cooking because it was too many letters for Twitter. True story. Um, I'm not even active on Twitter anymore, but you know, it's laid back. It's cooking I, yeah. with Kitty. So my website's cookingwithkitty.com, cooking with Kitty on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram. Um, sorry, I'm not on Snapchat or TikTok, although I do have the moves for it. Oh, uh, that's just not oh. my my primary focus. I, I do take hip hop lessons every other oh. week. Oh boy, yeah, with, with, with my children again, another connecting activity. Your kids? Oh my there. god! You've got to put TikTok right? kitchen kitchen videos. Your kids and, will just die. And and you just never know when you're gonna have to you know break out in a breakdance fight with somebody on the hard streets of <laughs> you know, Marysville, Ohio. But you know who knows. But uh, the podcast, uh, I've been being a little bit more consistent with it as of late. I kind of dropped the ball when, you know, kind of everything went to pieces in my life last year. Mm-hmm. But I've picked it back up this year and really focusing in on what I have learned in all of this, that cooking is connecting. And like I had mentioned earlier, I'm going through my free email challenge, the cooking is connecting 20 day challenge, going through those 20 activities from the developmental relationships framework and putting them in the context of what 
you as a mother or a father or as a caregiver to children can do in the kitchen without being a certified chef, without being someone who is even tremendously competent or competent in the kitchen to do really simple things proactively and intentionally to, to more fully utilize the connecting power of the kitchen to give your child a stronger sense of mental health, of trust, of self-worth, of value, and of, um, of just ability to do great things in the kitchen because cooking for others is such an amazing way of showing hospitality and showing care and love to others. And although children aren't gonna have that, that same uh, vocabulary around it, they get it. If, if one of my children wash the potatoes, they'll take ownership of the entire meal. <laughs> and so there's such power at your fingertips. If you have a kitchen, which most of the people listening to this do, in fact, many of you are probably in the kitchen right now listening. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are certain things you can do to take more advantage of it. And that's the reason behind all of the content that I'm creating right now. If there are those who are listening or watching who get to the point where they feel like there's something more that you could learn when it comes to being in the kitchen, mm -hmm. such as, I don't know, how to use a kitchen knife better. That's where I can take off my trauma-informed foster and adoptive dad hat and put on my chef's coat and begin to teach mm. about you know practices that are safe and effective in the kitchen. And that was the impetus behind creating my first online course, which I called Nice Skills for Busy Families, mm. because it's a nice skills course for busy families. Mm -hmm. And it's a 10-week self-guided course. Every week, watch a few short entertaining videos with me and usually one or two of my children in the kitchen, teaching you, walking through the basics, the same that a student going to culinary school might learn. And then combining that with a menu that you and your child can cook together to take those techniques that you've just learned and put it into practice. That way, it's not so much one more thing that you have to do out of the week. It's something you can just kind of weave into a weekly practice of cooking and eating with your child. And by the end of 10 weeks, you'll have made 10 dishes, 10 menus together, and you'll learn so many of the basic essential knife skills on everything from onions to celery to carrots to broccoli to you name it. And so you're going to feel so much more confident and competent in the kitchen, so much safer as well. And you're going to have so many more opportunities to invite your child into the kitchen to cook and eat with you from then on. Because, I mean, how many times have you gone to the kitchen and not have to pick up a knife? And that can be a huge intimidation factor for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I thought that that would be the most, uh, the most relevant place to start for most home cooks. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love all of that so much. You've got a lot, you, you have a lot to offer um, between all of these different spots. There's something else I can, I mean, again, just toss my ideas out <laughs> if, they, if they don't do. sound good to you, but I just had this vision while you were talking not only are you bringing um, education on these topics to the foster parents or adoptive parents or any parents, but I picture you in, in this room with, with the kids, with the kids who have gone through trauma 
and almost like you're giving them a cooking class just for them where they are going to produce something they're going to have an end result and their self-esteem you know for a million different reasons is is struggling and suffering and they have these poor babies are suffering but yes you are going around i just picture you kind of just guiding them as you do in your own home with your kids to producing something that they did on their own and just how wonderful that would be for their mental health. And if there's one thing that is common with most, I mean, the vast majority of children that go into the foster care system, when it comes to uh, needs not being met, there is a lot of insecurity around food. Mm, with yes. children from hard places. Yes. And so for me to have the ability to hand to them, to grant them the ability to have a, a higher level of control and felt safety around food and the kitchen, that is a major gift that I can give to a child and to a parent-child relationship. Because again, that opens up so much more opportunities for growth and for development and for the attachment that is so necessary to begin to see those other uh, behavioral issues begin to subside. So, so yeah, I've, I want to get this out to as many people as possible, which is why I'm here talking to you, sharing it with your amazing audience. They are totally going to love this. Um, I never thought about that until right now about the connection with food and not having enough food, being hungry, um, Oh, wow. That, that really struggle is real never, for these kids. The struggle yeah. is so real for that. And, and just like I said before, I can only bring this to teaching and it's definitely not the same, but there are, you know, over the years, there are children who are hungry and it's like, how can I slip these kids extra breakfast and an extra snack? And, um, and it's hard to watch. It, it's hard to pull out my own salad and grapes and yogurt and, and, and have them look at what I have eaten and, and think in their heads that they could never, they could never cook what I've cooked and they could never eat what I'm eating. Um, I have to, this, this is a little sidetracked, but I, you're making me think of this story that I'm sure will resonate with you. And it's not cooking, but it is food. And when I was a teacher, just starting off many years ago, this is my 14th year. So this was like at least 12 years ago, I had a student, um, uh, uh, you know, struggling. Um, and I was eating a pear for snack, you know, in elementary school, the teachers and the, the, and the kids are all eating snack together. Um, and she said, what are you eating? And she was in sixth grade. She was 12. And I said, it's a pear. And she's like, what's pear? Pears only come in cans. And I I had, I had my own, I was like 23 years old. I had definitely um, a moment of, okay, first of all, I need to learn. I need to learn where my kids are coming from and, and what they're bringing as backgrounds. But she was fascinated. Oh my God, it looks like an apple. Do you eat it like an apple? Yeah, it's a pear. I really, she truly thought that canned pears were the only way to get a pear. So the next day I brought her a pear. And the kids, all the rest of the class was just watching. And it was so memorable. I remember the girl, I remember her name and everyone was staring at her. She's like taking this bite. She's like, oh, is it good? I'm like, yeah, it's delicious. Just eat it. And the kids are like, oh, is it good? What does it taste like? Because they hadn't had one either. 
And that moment was, she probably doesn't remember. Maybe she does, who knows? But that moment where it's like, you have done something, it wasn't about teaching and it wasn't about curriculum, but you're giving them a gift through food and understanding and connection, which you're bringing with mm-hmm. your children every day, but you're taking your message and expanding it to the world. And I absolutely love that. And I think your mission is underappreciated. I think your mission is bigger than people know yet. I, you know, like you've got, you've got something and I'm just super, super excited to see what you can do with that. I, I keep putting on my teacher hat and thinking how we can bring this to schools. Um, and, and those I'm foster kids go to school. Too. Yeah. I am in schools. I actually, yeah. before I developed this knife skills course, I had developed a smaller course for family and consumer science classrooms. And so I do have some middle schools and high schools who use some of my videos in their, in their classes and their teaching to teach their kids the, the knife skills before they move on to other cooking. So yeah, it's, it, I love being able to support them. And as much as I would prefer it to be in, in the kitchen mm-hmm. at, at home with their parents, because I think to get to your, to your point uh, that the food is impacted by so many other socioeconomic mm. um, um, influences, you know, that, that poverty and, and being in the foster care system and whatnot, and, and just parents who have not been raised by parents who cooked and yes. we are losing this this life skill among our young people because you know we weren't taught it by our parents and it's it's really hard to change that cycle it's hard to change the cycle of, of poverty and it's hard to change the cycle of of you know other you know issues you know racism whatever the case may be and my the mantle that I'm taking up is this you know, systematic loss of cooking intergenerationally mm-hmm. and how much we're losing by not having it. Mm-hmm. And you're empowering children, you're empowering their parents, you're empowering the system, like I said, the therapists, the teachers, the whoever. You're giving them mm-hmm. that gift. This is like such a big thing like I'm so blown away by how just yeah yeah you could be working in a restaurant or and or you are can be changing the world one student at a time one child at a time who didn't think that they could do anything they didn't think that they had it in them to produce something all of those things just so so good so good so someday when you're on the uh, TEDx stage (laughs) Oh, well, I'll be able to say, I knew you when. I'll, I'll be looking for you in the crowd. Be like, yeah, right there. I'll be, I'll be. Pro. <laughs> well, Chef Kibby, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I am so happy for you and all that you are set out to do. And you're absolutely making a difference. Um, and, and I hope that your message spreads across the States um, and, and makes it my way, because that's definitely something that I would like to to share with people. So make sure my listeners that you head to chef Kibby's website, cookingwithkibby.com and your podcast cooking with Kibby, find him in all the places, follow him, give him a message, a, a shout out that, you know, what he is saying has resonated with you. Maybe share a cooking story of connection with your kids um, because the mothers, typically mothers who listen to my show, we, we sometimes are struggling with our kids. And so connection is so important. 
um, yeah, so reach out and, um, and let him know what you, you thought of this conversation. But I just want to thank you so much for being here. It's been so, so awesome. I, I enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening today. If you would like to talk with me personally, where we can chat and just get to know each other like old friends, I would love to do a discovery call with you. Go to my website, ontheharddays.com, and click on Schedule a Call. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so so that you get the latest when they roll out. Not to mention, please leave a review if you feel like this episode spoke to you. That way, the podcast will be shown to more mothers. And finally, you can find me on Instagram at On the Hard Days with dots in between each word, or in my free Facebook community, On the Hard Days Podcast and Community. If you are feeling isolated in your parenting journey, I encourage you to reach out through any of these means so that I can connect you with your people and support you in whatever way you need.